alive together with Christ. For by grace we have been saved. Father, there are those who believe that your call is not effectual. That it does not have the power to bring about the response it asks for in people's hearts. That it's only a general invitation. An invitation that can be accepted or rejected. But Father, that is an external call. Just as there is an internal effectual call, there is also an external call. You do call all men to repent, but they don't. The dead can't hear until you open their ears. They can't respond until you open their hearts. And your promise, Father, is those whom you predestined, you also called. And those whom you called, you also justified. And those whom you've justified, you also glorified. An unchangeable, unbreakable chain of events. Predestined, called, justified, glorified. When we stand before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes, it will not be because of us, but only because of your eternal purpose and the work of your Son, our Savior. I was an orphan, lost at the fall, running away when I heard you call. But, Father, you worked your will. I had no righteousness of my own. I had no right to draw near your throne. But, Father, you love me still. And in love, before you laid the world's foundation, you predestined to adopt me as your own. You have raised me so high above my station. I'm a child of God by grace and grace alone. Solo gratia. Amen, Father. Amen. Let's stand for our second song this morning. My heart is filled with thankfulness to him who bore my pain, who plumbed the depths of my disgrace and gave me life again, who crushed my curse of sinfulness and clothed me his light and wrote his love righteousness with power upon my heart. My heart is filled with thankfulness to him who walks beside, who floods my weakness and causes fears to fly whose every promise is for every step I take sustaining me with arms of love and crowning with his grace my heart is filled with thankfulness to him who 
Please be seated. Our scripture reading this morning is in 1 John. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard, we have also proclaimed, so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that you may be complete in joy. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. May the Lord bless the reading of his word.
at Rebecca. We're good. To which John replied to them in verse 6 that they are liars because those who do have true fellowship with God, they walk in the light just as God is in the light. They walk in holiness and in truth and in in godliness and certainly not in darkness. But yet again today in our text, John will be dealing with another round of false claims that are being promoted by his opponents, both of which revolving around the idea of sinlessness or achieved perfectionism. I read a story this week about Charles Spurgeon, who on one occasion was at a conference where a preacher taught that sinlessness or perfectionism was possible in a very outspoken manner. Furthermore, he also claimed to have reached this state of sinless perfection. Spurgeon, though, didn't challenge him on the spot. Instead, the next morning at breakfast, Spurgeon walked up to the pastor and poured a pitcher of milk over his head, to which the perfectionist responded with the kind of rage and hostility you'd expect from any sinner, thus debunking his claim of perfectionism. Now, in no way am I recommending you dump milk on anyone who pretends to be perfect or sinless, church. But oh, how great the deception of the evil one can be that man would not see the pungency or the wickedness of their sin. Which takes us to our thesis statement this morning, or the overall theme of our sermon this morning, which is this. Everyone sins. If we deny them, we deceive ourselves and call God a liar. But if we confess our sins, we will be cleansed and forgiven of them by God. Again, our thesis statement this morning is this. Everyone sins. If we deny them, we deceive ourselves and call God a liar. But if we confess our sins, we will be cleansed and forgiven of them by God. Our text this morning is 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. The Apostle John, he writes... If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the honor to come before you this morning as this church body, as Faith Bible Fellowship Church, to recognize you as the God of the universe, to glorify you this morning through our songs, through giving of offerings, and through your preached word. Lord, your word is perfect. It is infallible. It is inerrant. It is sufficient for everything we need. Father, I pray you open our eyes to this word this morning. Open our ears to this word this morning. Open our hearts and let us receive it. Father, the world says that they are not sinners and that they have no need for a Savior. And by your grace, you have told us that, yes, we are sinners. And, yes, there is a Savior, and his name is Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that we cling to him. Father, give me the words to speak this morning. I pray that they be bold, that they be humble, and above all else, that they feed this dear flock with your truth. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Our first of two points this morning is this. Point number one, Christian, consistently confess your sins as God is always faithful to forgive you of your sins. Christian, consistently confess your sins as God is always faithful to forgive you of your sins. Verses 8 and 9. It says, if we, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John begins verse 8 by framing the second heretical claim promoted by some of his opponents, which is this, that some say we have no sin. Now, if you remember back to last week, many of John's opponents believed that they were enlightened that they were spiritually aware and informed and wise. And as Douglas O'Donnell put it, because of their assumed enlightenment and their mystical fellowship with God, many of John's opponents also claimed that they were now sinless and that they were without sin. So although John closed verse 7 last week by noting that it is the blood of Jesus Christ which cleanses us of all sin, many of John's opponents would have responded that claim with, well, that's great, but we do not need to be cleansed of our sin by the blood of Jesus Christ because we are now enlightened, and we now, verse 8, have no sin. And that is quite the claim right there. For a person to believe or argue or declare that they no longer have sin. But for as bold and audacious and really ludicrous a statement that as that is, unfortunately, it is not a claim that is unique just to this time period or just to this community. Because claims like these are something that the church has had to deal with throughout the ages. I mean, even today, you have denominations telling congregants that they can receive a second blessing from the Holy Spirit and achieve sinlessness or moral perfection in this life. You have counselors and psychologists today telling their patients that God made you this way, that your fornication and your pornography addiction and your homosexual relationships and your gender transition, they aren't sin because God made you this way. You have secular society telling the world today that we are all good people, great people, wonderful people, but not sinners. And yes, at times we make mistakes or poor decisions, but that's not sin. It's just us messing up a little bit. And here is what all three of those misconceptions have in common. Whether people think they have no sin because they can live a life of moral perfection in the here and now, whether people think they have no sin because that's the way that they were made, whether people think they have no sin because they think they are inherently good and just at times make boo-boos or oopsies or stinky poos or whatever other childish word you want to call it, in the end, all those who say they have no sin, verse 8, they are deceived and the truth is not in them. And this is no surprise because, as the prophet Jeremiah put it, the human heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. I mean, if there is one thing we do really, really well as humans, it is that we deceive ourselves into believing whatever we want to believe. I was reminded of this this past summer when I was watching a documentary on Lance Armstrong. If you don't know who Lance Armstrong is, he was America's top cyclist back in the 90s and early 2000s. However, he was diagnosed with testicular cancer in 1996, but made a full recovery and started cycling professionally again and went on to win the Tour de France 
which is cycling's equivalent to the Super Bowl seven times. But all this success led to allegations of him doping and using performance-enhancing drugs. And at every turn, Armstrong vehemently denied those allegations. For example, in July of 1999, he said, I have been on my deathbed, and I am not stupid. I can emphatically say I am not on drugs. In November of 2005, he said, how many times do I have to say it? Well, it can't be any clearer than this. I've never taken drugs. In June of 2012, he again said, I've never doped. I've competed as an endurance athlete for 25 years, passed more than 500 drug tests, and never failed one. He even in 2000, 2001 made an anti-doping commercial with his sponsor, Nike, that shows him training while in the background saying, this is my body. I can do whatever I want to it. I can push it, study it, tweak it, listen to it. Everybody wants to know what I'm on. What I'm on, I'm on my bike for six hours a day. What are you on? In 2012, Armstrong was stripped of his seven Tour de France victories for doping and performance-enhancing drugs in what was called the most sophisticated, professionalized, and successful doping program that the sport has ever seen. Armstrong commented on it in 2013, saying, all the fault and all the blame here falls on me. I viewed this situation as one big lie that I repeated a lot of times. And you might be sitting there this morning thinking, man, how could Armstrong ever do that? Like, how could he tell himself and actually believe that he wasn't going to get caught? But here's the thing, church. Our sin, it does not make sense. Our sin, it is not rational or reasonable. It is not sane or balanced. Our sin, it is deceptive. It is misleading, it is deceitful and fraudulent and offers only a false understanding of the world. That is why John says to the one who believes that they have no sin, verse 8, you deceive yourselves and the truth, it is not in you. So the question is then, why would anyone do this? Why would anyone deceive themselves about their sin? Why does why one son deceive himself into believing that he did not try to spray his brother with a hose, but instead he actually wanted to spray the garden, which is in the opposite direction? Or why does my other son deceive himself into believing that he didn't try to feed dirt to his one-year-old sister, but instead the dirt actually just fell off the shovel into her mouth? Why do people do this? Well, as psychologists point out, one of the reasons why people deceive themselves is because they want to protect themselves from the punishment that their actions deserve. And that is, in essence, what John's opponents are trying to do here. They say they have no sin, thus they think they aren't guilty, and thus won't face God's most holy wrath, which is the penalty for their sin, and it is a lie from the depths of hell, church. But here is the mind-blowing, the world-altering good news that every depraved and deceived and duped and defrauded non-Christian needs to hear. It is that you do not need to lie. 
You do not need to deceive yourself into thinking that you aren't a sinner because, verse 9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Thus, we never, ever, ever need to try to deceive ourselves about our sins because God is always faithful and just and will always forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Thus, it doesn't matter how long we've been walking in unrepentant sin. It doesn't matter how vile or foul our past sins are. It doesn't matter how many times we've fallen victim to a certain sin. God can forgive you and cleanse you of all of those sins. And to the Christian that is here this morning, do not be like the heretics who deceive themselves and who who deny their own sin. Instead, verse 9, confess your sins. Make it the practice of your life to humbly go to God, admitting that you have sinned and acknowledging that you have fallen short of God's glory and lived in a way that does not line up with his most holy precepts and ask for the mercy needed to be forgiven of your sins, the grace needed to now turn from your sins and ask for the peace needed to know that you have now been cleansed of your sins now and forevermore. And you might be sitting there this morning thinking, like, how do we really know God is going to forgive me of every sin? Like, isn't it possible that I could confess a really bad sin and God just be like, nope, not today, Skippy. Sorry, not going to happen. And the answer, brother Christian, sister Christian, is no. Why? Because verse 9, he is faithful and just. Faithful as in God will never go back on the promises that he made to his children. God said that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. God said, my servant will make many to be accounted righteous and will bear their iniquities. God said, I will make a new covenant where the law is written on my people's hearts and their sins are forgiven. And our God is faithful in keeping each and every one of his promises. Thus he sent Jesus Christ who said, this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of of sins. It is in Christ we have redemption, church, and through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Ephesians 1.7. But oh, let us not just have confidence this morning, Christian, in the faithfulness of our God, but also in his justice. For our God is perfectly and wholly just, church, and he willingly forgives us of our sins because someone has already paid the price of our sins. As John Wesley put it, when the debt is paid or the purchase made, it is the part of justice to cancel the bond and consign over the possession that has been purchased. And that is the accomplishment of Jesus Christ, who already paid the price for our redemption, for the forgiveness of our sins. Thus take heed this morning, church, for our God, he is faithful and just. Our debt has been paid, the promise has been made that God will forgive those who confess their sins. And oh, what joy and freedom there is in knowing this eternal truth, Christian. D.L. Moody shared this story about an ex-prisoner who had secured a position as a night watchman at a store. However, one of his prison associates came to him one evening and attempted to persuade him to leave the doors open so that he could rob the store later that night. The watchman refused. 
However, his former prison companion threatened to tell all his employers about his past life, the crimes he committed, the length of his jail sentence, and all the evils that he had done. Yet the watchman laughed in his tempter's face and replied, Go and tell them, for I have nothing to fear, for they knew of all my past life before they even hired me, for I've confessed it all. O oh man, O oh man, confess your sins to God, then you shall know what it is to have heaven in your soul. For blessed and happy is the man whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Christian, we have nothing to fear, nothing to hide, no need to deny, because those who confess their sins to God, they will be forgiven, but not only forgiven, church, God will also, verse 9, cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You see, too often as Christians, we think that when we confess a certain sin, that yes, God forgives us, but that the stain of that sin still exists. Or to put it another way, we think that yes, God forgave me of my past DUI, but still sees me as a drunkard. God forgave me of my past fraud, but still sees me as a swindler. God forgave me of my past cheating, but still sees me as a cheater. And if this is you this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, then please, please, please listen carefully to me this morning. Because if you've confessed your sin before God, and you are agreeing with God about your sin, hating your sin, and seeking by his grace to put to death your sin, not only are you forgiven, but you have also been cleansed. And the stain of that sin has been removed forever. Thus, although the fallen world may still see you as a drunkard or as a fraud or as a cheater, your God, the God who created you and forgave you and cleansed you via the blood of his very son, Jesus Christ, oh, he does not. And he welcomes you to partake in ever-growing, ever-sweeter, and ever-more intimate fellowship with him. Thus, I charge you this morning, Christian, joyfully walk in the light of God and confess your sins when you do fall short of his glory, knowing that as his children, you will always, always, always be forgiven and cleansed. Oh, that we cling to this truth this morning, church, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, because our God, he is light, he is holy, and he is true, and he certainly does not lie. Which brings us now to point number two, which is this. To claim we don't sin, it is to claim that God is a liar. To claim we don't sin, it is to claim that God is a liar. Verse 10. It says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Again, verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now this is the third and final heretical claim in which John deals with in this opening chapter. And you can naturally follow the progression of these heretical claims from claim number one, where John's opponents argue that they could have fellowship with God even if they walk in darkness, to claim number two, where John's opponents argued that they were enlightened and now they were sinless. To finally claim number three, where John's opponents simply argue, verse 10, that they have not sinned. Not yesterday, not today, not ever. 
John's opponents are claiming that they simply have never, ever, ever sinned. To which the apostle John replies, verse 10, If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. In essence, if we claim we have not sinned, then we claim that what God says is not true. If we claim we have not sinned, then we claim what God says is false and deceiving and misleading and flat-out wrong. Now, why is this the case? Because God says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. God says there is no righteous man on earth who does good and who never sins, Ecclesiastes 7.20. God says no one alive is righteous before him, Psalm 143.2. Furthermore, God is a God who never lies, Titus 1.2, a God who is unchangeable and thus it is impossible for him to lie, Hebrews 6.18. So then we must deduce that the sum of God's word is the truth, Psalm 119.160, and certainly not a lie. Therefore, we have a decision to make in terms of who we trust. For man says that they do not sin, and for God says, oh, yes, yes, you do. And some of you may be sitting there this morning listening to the sermon thinking, Wes, why is this such a big idea? Like, why can't I just believe in God and love God and do my own thing and be in fellowship with God without having to believe I'm as bad as you claim that I am, that I'm some horrible, depraved, wicked sin monster walking around? Why do I have to believe that? And this is why the devil spends so much time trying to get Christians to deny and look past the seriousness of their sin. Because if we get the sin problem wrong, church, then we get everything wrong. And why do I say that? Because to say we have no sin, it is to say we have no need for God to come into the world and to save us from our sin. To say we have no sin, it is to say that we have no, no need for Jesus, God in the flesh, to live a perfect life because we can live it. To say we have no sin, it is to say that we have no need for an atonement, a propitiation, or a cleansing via the blood of Jesus Christ. To say we have no sin, it is to say that Jesus Christ really didn't need to be raised from the dead on the third day because we can defeat sin and death. To say we have no sin, it is to say that God is a liar, the gospel is a lie, and that we can save ourselves, to which we can conclude, if someone says they have no sin, verse 10, that God's word, it is not in them. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells this parable to people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. He said, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes up to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The tax collector church would not even lift his eyes up to heaven, but he beat his breast confessing, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
he confessed his sins. Church, no one can stand justified before God. No one can be reconciled back into eternal fellowship with God apart from the confession and the forgiveness of sin. So for those who say that they can save themselves, for those who say that they think they are sinless and righteous in and of themselves, they call God a liar and they are not his children and the saving truth of the gospel is not in them. But for those who do acknowledge the depth of their sin, for those who do acknowledge the stain of their sin and the eternal damnation that their sin has brought upon them in the eyes of a holy God who is light and in whom is no darkness at all, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So yes, brother Christian, yes, sister Christian, we desire as the children of God to be sinless and to walk in the light just as our Father God is light. However, we know we can't. Thus, we must not deny our sins. Instead, we must be willing to confess our sins. Why? Because we have an advocate with the Father, and that is Christ Jesus, the righteous our blessed assurance that when we confess our sins, we will always be forgiven of our sins, cleansed of our sins, and mature all the more daily, not in the denial of our sins, but in Christ-likeness, reflecting all the more radiantly the glory of God's most holy and brilliant light. So as we close this morning, church, I'll begin with the non-Christian who is here first. And fear not, non-Christian, for I do not have a pitcher of milk to dump over your head this morning to prove that you are not sinless or perfect. Last week, I asked the non-Christian here to consider their actions in order to determine if they were, in fact, saved or not. But this morning, I will merely ask you to consider your heart. A heart from which Jesus says comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile a person. Non-Christian, lovingly, I share this with you. You are defiled with sin. You have a sin problem. And you have only two options in dealing with the sin problem. Number one, you can deny you have a sin problem and deceive yourself during your time on planet Earth only to face the eternal wrath of God through eternity. Or number two, you can admit you are a sinner. Confess your sins before God and place your trust in his son, Jesus Christ, who came to seek and to save the lost, to seek and to save the sinner. How? By coming into the world. God himself came into the world and took on human flesh and was born in the likeness of man so that he, Jesus Christ, could do the work that Adam and every man after him could not do, and that is live a life without sin. Jesus Christ, who is truly God and truly man, was tempted by sin in every respect that we are and yet lived a life that was perfect and righteous and without sin. And although Christ never sinned, he gave himself up then as a ransom for many. 
non-Christian Jesus Christ. He was flogged, he was beaten, he was abused and crucified on a cross on our behalf, standing in our place as a substitute and dying on a cross at Calvary for the forgiveness of sins. But three days later, as the proof as the receipt that Jesus Christ is truly God, that Jesus Christ is truly sinless and truly appeased the wrath of God the Father toward the sins of his children. Jesus Christ, he rose from the dead, defeating sin and defeating death once and for all and offering eternal life to all who place their trust in him. Thus, non-Christian, let today be the day that you turn from your sins. Let today be the day that you confess your sins and you trust in Jesus Christ and Christ alone is the only one who can forgive you of your sins, the only one who can cleanse you of your sins, the only one who can clothe you in his perfect life and his righteousness and reconcile you back to God forever. And today will be the day that you no longer need to deny your sin. Today will be the day you no longer need to deceive yourself that you have no sin. Instead, today will be the day that you will be forgiven and cleansed of your sin, all because of your faith in our Lord and Savior your Jesus Christ. Oh, non-Christian, let today be the day that you confess your sin. And to the Christian who is here today, now I am not going to shock you with this next statement, but everyone sins, even Christians. Even after we place our trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, everyone, everyone, and I mean everyone, still sins. And we know this. And I think as conservative evangelicals, especially within the more reformed traditions, we push this, we preach this, we accept this, we believe this, that we are sinners and totally depraved, and we take this teaching seriously. And yet, for some reason, it doesn't seem we take as serious our call to consistently, constantly, and continually confess of all those sins. And what comes of this? As H.I. Ironside put it, there is nothing that so takes the joy out of life like unconfessed sin on the conscience. Thus, church, if you are feeling a lack of joy in your Christian walk this morning, if you are feeling a lack of joy in your fellowship with God this morning, if you are feeling a lack of joy in your fellowship with other Christians this morning, then let me ask you this question. When was the last time you confessed your sins to God? Was it this morning before church? Was it yesterday? Last week? Last month? Can't remember the last time? Now, you may be sitting there this morning thinking, well, Wes, when I lose my temper with a co-worker, I do ask them for forgiveness. Or when I do treat my wife poorly, I do ask her for forgiveness. Thus, why do I need to confess those sins to God? I mean, I didn't lose my temper with him or I didn't treat him poorly. But what we must realize, church, is this, that every sin we commit whether it is against our friend, our brother, our sister, our co-worker, our mom, dad, neighbor, or even a follower on social media, every single sin we commit, it is ultimately against the Lord. Thus, as the only one who can forgive you of your sin and cleanse you of your sin, we have got to make it the practice of our lives to attempt to try to confess our sins to God as often as we commit them. Why? Just look at the dichotomy, the difference in David's life when he conceals his sin 
verse 1, he confesses his sin. In Psalm 32, David writes, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. But David goes on. He says, when I acknowledged my sin to you and you did not not cover my iniquity, I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Church, if we keep silent and don't confess our sins, the result is as if, our bones waste away and we groan all the day long. We bear the burden of a guilty conscience and a tormented soul and it takes all the joy out of our lives. But if we confess our trust Trust, if we confess our sins to the Lord God, he forgives us over and over and over again of all the iniquity of our sin. Thus David cries out, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Thus it is my prayer that we as a church body be quick to confess our sins to each other and that we as a church body be quick to confess our sins to God. Lord, the world around us, it is deceived. It it claims that it has no sin. It claims that it has never sinned. And it claims that it has no need for a savior to which you say they lie and the truth is not in them. But you, Father, in your grace, you have given us the truth that we are sinners, that we need a Savior, and that his name is Jesus Christ. Thus, let us not be content to conceal our trespasses or deny our trespasses or deceive ourselves into thinking we have no trespasses. Let us be quick to confess and forsake our trespasses so that we may obtain your mercy. Oh, that we shout for joy this morning, church, for through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have obtained God's mercy. For blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, and blessed is the one in whose spirit there is no deceit. Let's pray, church. Heavenly Father, you are so good. Father, we can't even fathom the depth that we commit, the depth of the sin that we commit over and over and over again. And yet, in your perfect knowledge, You have sent your son, Jesus Christ, to already pay for all of it. All of it has already been paid for. Thus you freely and faithfully and justly forgive us of all sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Thus why do we not repent of our sins consistently? Father, stir in us a heart of confession. Stir in us a heart of that seeks to confess our sins as often as we see them. And Father, if there, if we are at a time in our lives where we do not see sin, Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit continues to grow us more in the likeness of Jesus Christ and, convi- and convicts us of said sin. Father, we desire to walk in the light, but only you are perfect, Father. Help us see when we fall short of your glory and come running to the throne of your grace, growing more and more in your likeness as we confess our sins and grow in you. To God be the glory forever. Amen. Let's stand and worship God with our final song this morning.
benediction this morning comes from Proverbs chapter 28 verse 13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Go in peace, church. Go in peace.
Savior.